Your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap. Because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to Nerdist Podcast number 532. Come out and see me in Portland, June 12th of the 14th. That's this week. Go to heliumcomedy.com slash Portland uh, for tickets and info. Also at Midnight is back this week uh, with a, a pretty fantastic lineup. Uh, Steve Agee's on tonight, the Monday night, and I adore him to pieces. Um, and there's a lot of pieces because he's a tall man. So that's a lot of adoration that I have for Steve Agee. That's at midnight. Uh, midnight after the Colbert Report on Comedy Central. This episode is brought to you by Harry's.com. Uh, basically, you're going to get high-quality shaving implements shipped right to your door. Um, these are phenomenal blades. They're engineered in their own factory in Germany. Uh, they have an incredible amount of sharpness, an incredible amount of strength. They're going to get a smooth shave at half the price of the competitors. They actually bought the 93-year-old German factory that makes the blades so that they could really control the process and deliver you the best product. Kits start at $15, which gets you a handle, three blades, shave cream, shipped right to your door. They'll even do a custom engraving option for you if you want your initials on the razor. Maybe you're shaving, it's early in the morning, you're like, wait, what's my initials again? Aha, this is it. Or at least you know that no one else will touch your razor unless they also have your initials. Um, that's, that's something that you're going to have to work out though. Just keep people who have your initials away from your house and your bathroom and your shaving plants and then all, and then you'd be fine. Um, right now, of course, there's a promo code. All right. It's the nerdist, all one word, all lowercase. When you go to harrys.com, they're going to throw in a free four pack of blades with your first purchase. Uh, again, that's harrys.com. Use the promo code, the nerdist, all one word, all lowercase for that free four pack of blades with your first order. This episode of the podcast is Brian Bishop, and if you know uh, the Corolla podcast at all, Brian has been working with Adam for years. Uh, he's promoting his book, Shrinkage, which is available now on Amazon, wherever books are sold. Also, his podcast, The Film Vault, is out every Friday. Brian is a pretty incredible guy. Um, if you, I mean, you probably, you were probably familiar with Brian, and maybe you, you would know him as Bald Brian. Um, but, uh, but Brian uh, had a bout with cancer, and he survived it. And, uh, and so we talk a lot about, about um, you know, what it takes to survive something of that magnitude. Literally the worst thing that could happen to a person that they would have to go through, Brian went through. Uh, and he came out the other side and he wrote a book about it. But um, he's a really sweet guy, really inspirational. And, um, and this, was, uh, 
this was this one's a little bit deeper than uh, than some of the typical ones that we have on the Nerdist. So uh, I was I'm very fortunate to uh, be pals with Brian and have him come on and share the story. So here we go, the Nerdist podcast number five thirty two with Brian Bishop. Now entering nerdist.com. Medium, but I'm very intrigued by what the possibilities are and what the future oh, might hold. Pretty limited. Yeah, I wouldn't even try to get on board. Should we just wrap this up now? Yeah. Okay. Thanks for being. You were a great guest. Yeah. Um, how are you? Are you good? I mean, considering. Why do you know something I don't? No. Okay. No, I'm very good. I'm really good, man. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm good, and I'm good in an emotional place. Yeah. I'm good in a physical place. Um, I'm recovering. You know, I'll sort of always be. Recovering, but uh, feel good. Feel really good. No symptoms, and things are good. Well, uh, first of all, for people who don't know, uh, Brian, I first met working on Corolla's radio show. Yeah, which then became a podcast show. What did you come in to promote back then? Was that the book, or what? What were you promoting? No, it was back way then? before that. It was way before that. My book didn't come out to th- 2011. And oh, Corolla wow. started doing the podcast. He, Corolla, got. Fired. We did the radio show mid two thousand nine. Oh six to oh nine. Yeah, it was mid two thousand nine because he had been doing the podcast for a little while before we started ours, and we started ours at the beginning of two thousand ten. So, what was I promoting at the time in two thousand nine? It would have been two thousand eight, two thousand nine. It would have been G four, possibly Web Soup might have been premiering okay. around that time. That sounds about right. And um, and then. Uh, uh, and then fuck you for getting a brain tumor. Um, how dare you? I accept full responsibility. How dare you do that? <laughs> so sorry. How dare you do I'm that? So sorry to drop that on you. Um, yeah, Adam. I mean, this is this has been going. This happened. To, I feel like was this two years ago that I was diagnosed. Yeah. Wednesday is going to be the five year anniversary. Was of my it five diagnosis. years? Yeah, Holy it was shit. right after the radio showing off the air. Oh, man, my, the timelines of everything that's going. No, head. time oh, really oh, does fly. That's right. That's right. Because it. I remember Corolla telling the story about how he found out while he was working on the sitcom. He was doing his first sitcom pilot for CBS, and which it, I was supposed to be working on. I called him to, to tell him I'm not going to be on work on Monday. Yeah. That was how I told Adam. There's a whole chapter about it in the book. I told Adam that I'm not going to be on work on Monday because I have a uh, deadly, deadly brain tumor. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he said that he, uh, he just sort of crumbled at that point. He was not – that he – yeah, he plays it close to the vest, but you know, I, I understand that he took it pretty hard. Obviously, you know, someone who worked with him for a long time. And is, I mean, if we're being honest, he's really the victim in the story here. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Was, was that not clear? No, I mean, you perpetrated a heinous crime <laughs> against Adam, and quite frankly, everyone. I do feel by bad selfishly now. getting a brain tumor. I did not think the interview was going to go this way. Can we start? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Can we start again? No, I'm just calling it like it is. And if America can't handle. You really do have to ask the tough questions. <laughs> we got to stop these toomies. That's what we call you guys behind your back. We got to stop these toomies in their tracks. So, from taking hardworking tumor jobs away from. 
I make jokes because I am uh, the concept. Uh, well, first of all, because you're funny and you, I, I would have, I would assume that comedy is, is something for you that has been helpful. Um, I've avoided it most of my life, but yeah, it's uh, it's been helpful. <laughs> I do my best to avoid comedy, anything comedic, anything remotely funny. I do my best to avoid. But it. just stop it. But um, but. Uh, I mean, I, I make jokes about it because it, from my facing my mortality standpoint, it is one of the most horrifying things that you could conceive of. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, I mean, there's no worse. There's really, aside from like you, someone that you know has died, mm-hmm. there's really no worse news you can get. Well, keep in mind, I don't want to. I will pile on. So at the time, uh, we had just been laid off, or the show had just flipped formats, and the show was off the air. Uh, my wife or fiancé at the time, I was engaged at the time. And so I was engaged, I was laid off, and she was laid off too. So two people around the age of 30 laid off and uh, engaged. Jesus Christ. Just a picture of happiness. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was pretty heavy. Was so, pretty heavy. And uh, when I was diagnosed, I was given, I mean... I asked the doctor outright because he was giving me a lot of medical mumbo-jumbo, and I'd been shuffled around from doctor to doctor at this point, and I was like, let's cut to the chase. I was like, doc, what are we looking at? Realistically, what's, what's going to happen? And he's like, typically in these cases, I say six months to a year. Oh, my God. And my, my fiance is sitting you know, next to me, and she's hysterical, and my first thought was, holy shit. And then my next thought, and I don't know if it was, was naive or if it was denial or whatever, my next thought was, well, that's not going to be me. And I don't know if that was, it may, that may have been stupid or just head in the sand or whatever, but I was like, we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll fight this. Well, you know, I'm not going to go quite that easily. Oh my God. And so it, did you, did it settle? I mean, did you watch Breaking Bad? No. But when he's diagnosed... Oh, I'm it, familiar with the concept of the but show. When, of when he's diagnosed initially, he just doesn't, it just, he's completely unfazed. Okay. And the doctor's like, are you understanding what I'm saying? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I got it. Cancer. Great. Okay. I, mean, I was marginally phased. <laughs> I was not unfazed. <laughs> I was phased to a degree. It, but ser- ser- seriously, or was there a part of you that still, was there a layer of separation between the reality of what you'd just been told and just trying to process the information? That's a great question. I, I, it, it, it hit me. I mean, I got a cold sweat. I now know what people mean when they say they got a cold sweat. Like I was sweating, but I was freezing. And I was like, holy shit. Like my, I was like, I'm getting married in what was supposed to be two months. And it could, it could be gone in as little as six months. But then it, like right away, maybe it was uh, just my brain producing the endorphins to say, you know, the enzymes to say it's all going to be okay. But I really just thought. Because at that point, all the invitations have been set out. Oh, yeah. People had selected what? Dishes they were. Oh, we'd hired the photographer. She was. That's so expensive. Expensive. Yeah, Yeah, it's really expensive to cancel on that stuff. Plus, I had a bachelor party coming up in a month, and I'm not going to cancel on that. (laughs) Did you go on your bachelor party? Fuck yeah, I want a bachelor party. (laughs) Fuck yeah, I want a bachelor party. I asked my doctors, "What can I do normally for this bachelor party?" And they're like, "I should." There should have been a sign that all was lost, but they're like, "Eh, do whatever you want." Oh no! (laughs) No, no, they were like, "Don't get." Have unprotected sex. Yeah, exactly. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. The worse, the better. They were like, uh, "Don't you can drink, but don't get too drunk. Sure. Uh, stay out of the sun." And I'm going to Las Vegas, by the way. So like, stay out of the sun oh, in geez. May. And I was like, "All right, that'll be easy." And uh, there's a there's a chapter in the book called "My Bachelor Party" or "The Time I Took Chemo in a Strip Club." Jesus Christ. Is that true? That's a hundred percent true. You did chemo in a strip club? I honestly wonder if I'm I. I 
I, these words are in there. I can't be the first guy to take chemo in a strip club, can I? <laughs> Do you think that's ever happened before? <laughs> no. Well, I don't know. In Vegas, maybe. Maybe. Anything, <laughs> what happens in Vegas? <laughs> it just gets written and yeah. put in a book. Yeah, exactly. That's unbelievable. No, but, I... Uh, I was on a nightly chemo regimen at that point, like a, a chemo pill, you know, uh, every Did night. you go to the spearmint chemo? I went to the spearmint chemo. Okay. I got into the chemo room and, yeah. Uh, yeah, made it chemo all over oh the place. Oh, my God. So when you're uh, – so describe the setup. I really want to – I mean, and again, just people, the some of people know what we're talking about. Uh, your book is called Shrinkage, Manhood, Marriage, and the Tumor That Tried to Kill Me. And I love the quote on the front from Kimmel. Brian puts the can in cancer in the bone and boner. Well, you wrote a book. You know how it is with blurbs. You ask people to it's write a, a blurb, blurb or whatever. Kimmel wrote back within four minutes, and it was like, well, that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what I was hoping for. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you, that, first of all, that you survived and that you, obviously, but that you went on to write a, to write a book about it because it's important, I think, for people to understand. It's important for people to know, particularly those who have either just gotten this news or who know someone who've yeah. gotten this news that a that there is that there can be hope and b that um you know it's so important to we, we I think we think of all this mortality stuff as such big picture ticket items that it's that we can't really understand it on a humanize on a human it. level yeah. and, and it's important for someone to come along and humanize it and and at least give people some point of reference for for what's going on what they can expect how they can deal with it how you dealt with it yeah i i appreciate that and by the way no one's happier than me that i survived but i i peppered the book with a bunch of tumor tips like like l- l- very practical tips on how to get tumors it's a yeah. terrible idea well it's really a one-step process okay and the first step is admittedly the hardest it's tips on just what happens what practical tips on what you should do if you find yourself in a situation like this not even necessarily cancer but if you have some major accident or illness or condition or your loved one does your mom or your dad or your wife or husband or whatever so at the very least i hope there's some practical stuff in there that people can take away from what is like what's an example of a of a, of a tip well like for example when i was saying earlier that i was getting shuttled, shuttled around from one doctor to another it became hard to remember did i describe my my symptoms for this guy already or what symptoms, where was I in the timeline with this? Or does this guy have my scans? So have everything written down if you have to. And if you have to send it along ahead of yourself, like ahead of time. So the doctor can see your timeline of symptoms or see who you've talked to or because they have to get records from other doctors. And rather than saying, Oh yeah, I saw Dr. Jones in Santa Monica and I saw Dr. Blah, blah, blah here. You can call their office and get their, it's going to take a day to do that. But if you have it sent ahead of time and always get like a hard copy of the disc of whatever scans you get, because that's yours, that's your property. And, and you can get a copy of the disc and bring it to the doctor with you or send that ahead of time. So let's, let's talk about chemo in the strip club. Yeah. How did that, how did that work? And I would, I would guess that the strippers were completely on talk about being unfazed. They were, probably unfazed their reaction surprised me so what happened was i'm on a nightly chemo regimen i'm on i'm taking my chemo pills every night at the same time 10 p.m and they're really serious about that for some reason i think it's because your body takes chemo is essentially poison so your body takes a while to filter it through and filter it out so you're 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 basically trying to poison yourself a system enough to kill the tumor but not you're basically just taking yourself to the edge of health In hoping that you uh, survive, survive the the rigors of the chemo, but your tumor yeah. does not. So you're basically saying to the you're basically saying to the tumor, huh? You like some of that? Try this, fucker. Yeah. And then you're, but in the process, you're shredding your body internally. Yeah. You're hoping the chemo kills some things, but not but all. But not things. all of the things. So here I am in the strip club. Uh, my friends are having a good time because they want to. 
they they know obviously what's wrong with me. I'm you know I've been diagnosed for a month now, and uh, but they want to have a normal time. Obviously, they're they're they want to have they want me to have a normal time. They want to have a normal time. So we're all doing our normal thing at the strip club, and I'm sitting on this little velvet couch, and at ten o'clock rolls around, and I have to take my pills, and I put them in a little clamshell thing so they wouldn't burst inside my pocket, and I pull it out, and there's you a, mean from the boners? That's right. That's exactly what I meant. And there's a lady. So I don't know if we've all been to strip club here, but what happens is. Chris, you ever in a strip club? I actually have talked about this a lot. I don't like strip clubs. And neither do I. But I went uh, over the New Year's. I was with a group of people in Las Vegas, actually, with my girlfriend. And, and we, all, we all went to one. And The girls sometimes like it better. Chloe definitely likes it better than I do. Weird, right? Um, I guess so. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm not like a, whoa, titties kind of guy. Sure. Like, I just, Get you know. drop. You know, but but Chloe is kind of a whoa titties kind of girl. So so we did so we did go, and it is you know, it is a little bit awkward. I do find that some of the strippers have amazing improv skills because they can oh they're salesmen they're saleswomen instantly sit down and try and start digging around for information yep. and try to connect with you. I was so blown away by how how much yes ending i was like wow these are these are like really good imp- improv actors yeah, they're the best saleswomen i probably ever met because they will sit down and you'll be gone with a uh, hundred dollars within an hour so you so you had the the clamshell yes pillowcase. and one of the girls has sat next to me because that's what they do they sidle up next to you or they saddle up next to you and they start to make conversation or whatever and i'm like hold on a second i've got something to do i pull out my pill and i put it in my hand she goes "Ooh, what do you got there Thinking it's like ecstasy or something like that, and I'm like it's the opposite. I'm like this is this is nothing you want. This is not good. And I take it with a vodka Red Bull. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you tell her what it was? I don't want to say that I have the cure for cancer. <laughs> But I have a cure for cancer. <laughs> so you think the vodka Red Bulls were the chem- ch- ch- chasing the chemo with a vodka Red Bulls? It couldn't have hurt. <laughs> I'm still here, I Chris. Mean, see, <laughs> you're looking right if at we're me. looking at all of the steps that yeah. you took. That's right. Um, so it, she, uh, she got none of it. I should have given her some chemo. <laughs> you should I not have probably to give her any chemo. Yeah. Uh, did you? Uh, did you tell her? No, that's not really light conversation. I just said it was some medication, I think. I was like, oh, it's just some medication. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. She was disappointed that it wasn't a hallucinogenic drug, probably. I want, I, I, you know, at that point, you could have seen how far you could push with that to see if she would still be able to climb on and give a lap dance. Or, you know what? You, you could have gotten some kind of a discount. Don't you feel like there's some... <laughs> I really, Oh, that's a good point. The sympathy discount? Yeah. Oh, that's a good 25% point. 25% off for Toomey's? <laughs> All Toomey's this month. <laughs> BOGO. <laughs> BOGO lap dances. <laughs> so did you still manage to have a... Were, were you... I mean, I'm trying to understand your emotional mm-hmm. state and how a person deals with something of this magnitude, particularly when you're... First of all, I think it's good that you had this as a distraction, I'm guessing. From the wedding, you mean? Or from... The wedding and the bachelor party as a distraction from just sitting in a bed and going, what the fuck, am I going to die? Am I going to... You know, and so... Yes. Were you kind of jumping back in in, in and out of like, yay, bachelor party, oh, cancer, yay, bachelor party, uh." Yeah, it it was more... I, I never really... I never really got terribly concerned with the grand scale of it all. Like the, oh, I might die. It was more... Yay, bachelor party. Oh, shit, I got to Because keep in mind, as... So 
at the worst of my illness, I was using a walker full time, like for about three months, maybe six months. I was in a wheelchair for a short period of time. I mean, I lost the use of my left side. I was fucked up. How did you use the, you- because the, my tumor's on my brainstem and it hits my cranial nerves and that controls everything from breathing to movement on your left side to your facial everything. So I was slurring my words really badly, much worse than I am now. And well, you're actually not slurring at all. Well, thank you. But compared to where I was, I'm 95% recovered. There's, people who know me well can probably pick up on that 5%. It's like the last five pounds of a diet. It's okay. like losing that last five pounds is really hard. Getting that last 5% back to where I was is next to impossible. There might have been some permanent damage. But, but my point is, at the time, I was on the downslope of all of this. I was soon to be using a walker full-time, and I was soon to be in the wheelchair, and I was... Christy, my fiance, was my full-time caregiver. Round the clock, 24 hours. She had to help me get to the bathroom. I mean, I was pretty fucked up. And so before it got really bad, on, while I'm still on the downslope, I'm worried about walking down the aisle, like physically making it down the aisle. I'm worried about dancing at my wedding. I'm worried about the, the, the honeymoon because we're going to Hawaii and it's the beach and it's pools and, and we booked our ticket a year ahead of time. And so I'm... I'm worried not about the grandness of it all, the grand scale life and death stuff. I'm worried about the nuts and bolts practical stuff of uh, speaking at my rehearsal dinner. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. I, I didn't, it was also overwhelming. So how do you, does something kick in or were you always kind of a, because you, it seems like just hearing you talk for a few minutes that you're pretty much a, well, let's just figure this shit out. Kind of a guy. Yeah. Were you always that way? Yeah, I think I am. And I, I that's the, that's the thing I like least about talking about my whole thing is because it's so much easier said than done. The like, oh, it helps to have a great attitude and you know, sunny. You know, it helps to have a positive outlook and all that stuff because that's how I am. I have a positive outlook and I'm a pretty class half full kind of guy. And it's probably annoying to hear that coming from someone like that. If you're the opposite, if you're just someone who is prone to being frustrated easily, and it's so much easier said than done. And people say, oh, you, you know, if you're going to fight cancer, you got to have a, a, the right attitude. It sucks, but I know people who had the right attitude who died, who didn't make it. It, it sucks, and it's the worst thing ever to tell their families or friends, oh, if you, know, if you have the right attitude, you're going to make it. I don't think it's true, but it doesn't hurt. I mean, I think it's one of those things that you have to have if you're going to make it, if you're going to be cancer. Well, I, I think it's... This is not funny, by the way. No, no, no. This doesn't have to be funny. I mean, we can drift in and out of boner okay, We can drift in and out of boner jokes. <laughs> okay, that's, that's no problem. But I think this is... I think it's important. I think it's important to talk about it and try to understand. Um, because just be, be, life being life, you know, chances are we are all touched by something of this magnitude at some time or another. Every it's single person. Or, or, some, or someone else. Yes, every single person so, I know or have talked to, sorry to interrupt, no, has, no, said please. The same, has said the same thing. They, it's either them or a loved one or a parent or a, a friend. At some point, you're going to be, it's going to be in your life. Well, I think, I think the attitude part, you know, whether or not it helps, it probably doesn't hurt. And, and, and I would assume, again, being, you know, lucky enough to not have gone through something like this i would assume that you know if you if you have a handful of months left to live would you rather be miserable those last few months mm. or at least try to find some some you know something pick out, pick out the cookie dough out of the ice cream just some, That's a bad some something i mean yeah. but i don't know it's tough for me to say because you know as i said you can't say until you're there no and even when you're there like i i was radiated and on chemo for a lot of this so i don't have 
I have, I, I remember everything, but a lot of my super vivid memories just aren't there because I don't have super specific recollections of thinking this at this time or thinking this at this time. And luckily I, I had the benefit of being radiated, not remembering. Did, um, it's just one of those things where they just go, where, where there's just no real idea of how this happened or it's like, well, it just happens sometimes. And it, they, they told me that a lot of times it's called a, a glioma brainstem glioma. Cause it's in the glial cells in the brain and, um, which are around the brainstem. And they said that it, it a lot of these are, uh, um, juvenile tumors. I may have had it for, I may have had it for decades uh, since I was a little kid and, and it just kind of sat there. And once it starts growing or moving, that's when you feel symptoms. That's when it starts to mess you up. Jesus. So it could have been, uh, it's probably, caused by nothing people people love to ascribe meaning to things that have no meaning you know like oh you must have lived under power lines or it must have been the water or it must have been this and that no i grew up in the suburbs in the bay area you know as, as normal area as possible and no family history to speak of you know out of the ordinary anyway and uh it's just one of those things man and so what how long did the process how long did you go through um chemo and radiation and recovery. And, and so what, what are some of the highlights? Sure. The timeline, the highlights of that are diagnosed in uh, late April of 2009. And then within a week or two, I, was, I started chemo and radiation. Now my tumor is inoperable, so no surgery possible. So chemo and radiation is kind of all they can do. Because it's just too, is it just too complex an area to it's go exactly and start what digging around? That's exactly right. It's it's it, as the as my doctor uh, described it to me. It's the Beverly Hills of real estate in the in the uh, in the brain. It's just so it's full of juice. Is what I'm sure. trying to say. Yeah. yeah. So it, <laughs> so it's uh, can't operate. So chemo and radiation, and I did six weeks of of chemo and radiation, and uh, it caused an unusual amount of swelling in my brain as my doctor described it to me after the fact. And the area of my brain where it is is like a funnel that, you know, sends everything to the rest of your body. It's the, it's the brainstem. And my swelling was so bad that it started to cut off a lot of my vital, uh, performances, like using my entire left side and talking right and blinking out a sequence. Like my, I was blinking out a sequence, which freaked out my fiance. Um, but then after those six weeks, we got married when our honeymoon, you still went on the honeymoon. Oh yeah. Well, non-refundable tickets. <laughs> yeah. Again, full of juice. Yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we did the honeymoon. That's when things started to really get bad. My brother got married a month after I did, and we traveled up north for his wedding. And by that point, I, 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 I could barely, I had to be helped up and down. I was one of his roomsmen. I had to be helped up and down the aisle for his wedding. I couldn't dance at his wedding. We left early, and, and things got really bad. And I was on my walker full time. I I say my walker, but it was my wife's grandparents' walker, and they didn't need it anymore. So it's kind of weird to borrow one from the grandparents who no longer need the walker, and I'm the grandkid, and I borrowed it. So. But you don't need it anymore. I don't need it anymore, and luckily neither of us did. But I used that for three or four months as things just got progressively worse, and the swelling got worse in my brain. And at a certain point, at a certain point, Two decisions were made. One, I needed to go into the hospital to do inpatient physical therapy. Now, most physical therapy is you go to the therapist, you work out for an hour, and you go home. They were going to admit me to the hospital for a week because it got to the point where I couldn't be – I was falling all the time. Like an old person would fall, and I couldn't get up. And so Christy would have to be around me at all times if I was on my feet. And she could – that's an incredible burden for a 30-year-old woman. And so she was like, you have to – we got to get you like some real therapy. 
And right around that time, they, they put me on a new drug, relative, relatively new. It had only been on the market for a year or two, um, called Avastin. And as it turns out, when people are put on Avastin, about a third of them don't respond, unfortunately. About a third of them respond marginally well, and about a third are super responders. They run, respond really, really well. And I luckily fell into that top category. And as my, I interviewed my doctor for the book, and I was like, you know, what, what, you know, he's like, he explained that had the Avastin not worked like it did, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. How I'd be with a new doctor. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> I would have left him. Yeah, you had to. <laughs> I mean, at that point, it's his fault. <laughs> That's right. What, um, how long were you guys together before, this, before you found out? Me and Christy yeah. were together for cheese. Uh, uh, before I found out, about about two years, about okay. two years, almost exactly. So you're two years in a relationship, and mm-hmm. I mean, what an amazing woman! <laughs> She's the star of the book. I, I mean, mean, she is the star of the book. What an amazing! I mean, because obviously, you know, as as much as it sucks to and it sucks being an understatement, as much as it sucks to go through something like that on a first person level, but when you love someone and to watch that happen and still be able to have the strength to to be there and yeah. to pick that person up and to carry them to the bathroom and get them you know i mean i mean that's i mean she sounds pretty remarkable she's uh the best person i know she's, she's pretty remarkable and you know i think i remember she would tell me she told me in retrospect years later that you know people i don't know if it was one person or more than one person i think it was one person after i was diagnosed were engaged and, and they're like are you gonna stay with him? Are you, are you going to go through with the whole thing? And, and she was like, it never entered my mind not to. And it's, how can, I, how can I ever hope for anything better to come across in my life? When you were doing the vows, mm-hmm. and I got to, in sickness and in health, <laughs> was everyone like, come on, <laughs> I think we're already there. <laughs> yeah, hopefully the health is, uh, is around the corner. But yeah, her, uh, her uncle was the, uh, was the officiant of the ceremony. I remember when he said that, it was very emotional. Well, yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you, it's crazy. There's so many questions in terms of, you know, everyone's going to this event, yep. this wedding, mm-hmm. and they know that it might, this might just be a symbolic marriage, yeah. you know? People We're, described it as, I mean, it was a nice wedding. I think it was fantastic. Obviously, I'm biased, but uh, people described it as emotional for obvious reasons. You know, I was uh, very sick. I was very sick at the time. I had to be helped back down the aisle. I mean, because we were, we were, it was an outdoor thing. It was in Napa, and it was up a couple steps onto a little, like, you know, risen kind of whatever pavilion kind of thing. And to get back down just those two steps, I had to be helped back down those stairs. Jesus. It's crazy. It, it really puts things into perspective. Say something funny. I can't. Points! I mean, it really, you know. I just wonder what are you you know what are you saying to each other every night when you're in bed I mean what are your what what becomes your normal conversation at that point do mm-hmm. you do you make small talk do you talk about stupid things you go oh look the you know the uh, this person did this thing crazy right. thing on the internet or oh this movie looks good. are you having those conversations or is everything well a few a few thoughts on what you just said number one um you know Christy really bore the brunt of all of this because as I sort of lost the ability to speak cohesively. I mean, she could kind of understand my, my slurring and my mumbling, but I wasn't speaking super coherently, so I just wasn't talking a lot. Because number one, I felt self-conscious. Number two, I was tired. I was sleeping 18 hours a day at a certain point. And so here she is, 
newly married, taking care of her new husband who's dying around the clock, and she has no one to talk to. The one guy she's around all the time doesn't really talk that much. So How did she do it? Uh, I mean, you know, her... I don't. You'd have you'd have to ask. Let's can we get her here? We'd have to ask her. <laughs> she, she she you know friends and family and and she just gritted her teeth and got through it. And it sucks. And it took a long time to sort of you know she was she was admitted to the hospital too during that time for a colitis like with stress oh my induced God. colitis like that's an inflammation of the you know of the uh, the gastrointestinal area there and she she uh, suffered as much as anybody. So definitely has earned her way into heaven whenever 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 that time comes. Was um. um were you a spiritual religious person before or did you become or do you not like what's where where do you fall in that i'm i'm um i'm open minded i'm open minded to anything i i will whatever ends up being the truth or ends up being the case i probably won't be surprised by it like if there's a bearded man in the sky i'd be like all right if there's <laughs> just dirt at the end of life I'm like all right so i i embraced I did uh, like guided meditation, like yeah. because you know, hey, just give it a shot if, if that helps, and uh, it helped a lot. It really helped me sort of center myself and think about what was going on in the larger picture and put things in perspective and sort of just quiet my mind and put things because every day was a, a new series of events and I sort of put the uh, put the day's events sort of in a place in my mind that made sense. When did you feel normal, and did that concept of normal? change i mean did you did you ever feel normal again that's one of the biggest things i hope people take away from the book if if they're in a situation like this is recovery or recovery quote unquote is incremental it's so so tiny and so incremental that you i would wake up every day and just really want to be better i'd want to feel better i'd be like oh is this the day i'm gonna feel better no this is not the day i'm gonna feel better shit and it's not until you're down the road three, four months that you look back and you're like, oh, remember when I couldn't do that? I can do that again. So you don't see the recovery and you don't feel it, but you see it when you look back three or four months. And my advice to people in my situation, which I wish someone would have told me is don't lose faith. It's, it, it gets better. It's so small. You don't notice it and you won't notice it after a week or maybe even two weeks, but after a month or two or three, you're going to start to see some differences, things you couldn't do before. Like, I'll give you an example. I had a, I had a daily pill regimen of six to eight pills, and in order to sort of do some home therapy, I would lay, lean back on my couch and put the pills on my stomach. I'd put a, pour them out on my shirt, and I would take my left hand, which was now pretty much useless, and I would attempt to get each pill in my mouth, but I had such a hard time even getting my hand up there and then pinching it and then getting up to my mouth, I would drop. The, it took me at one point as long as 40 minutes just to take my six to eight pills. And that's a really, really, really frustrating thing when you can't give yourself a pill with your left hand. But then eventually I was able to do it. And if I had been able to tell myself, you know, tap myself on the shoulder and say, hey, don't get frustrated. In a few months, this will be a okay. But there's no, I, uh, there's no way to be able to do that, unfortunately. Can I ask you an awful question? No. Okay, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead. Was there, was there anything funny about any of it? Like, when it was happening, you were like, Jesus Christ. I mean, like, not funny in the... Well, I did write a fucking book called Shrinkage, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a boner joke in the title. <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, I mean, was there any was there any part of it where maybe it was so awful that you had to laugh at something or something that you felt like as part of the process sort of struck you as like, oh, this is kind of funny that, th- that, th- that this thing is this way. Because you're, yeah. you're basically in, you're, you're swimming in deep waters. Yeah. And most people will, you know, it, it, it's, m- most of the world does not understand. Will not be there. Yeah. So what, what were the things that stuck out to you were like, oh, that's weird. I never thought cancer would be like this. Sure. Uh, there's a number of those anecdotes in the book. One, there's a chapter called The Time My Wife Drugged Me in a Kid's Pool in Maui. But <laughs> I think to answer your question from earlier and to answer this question all at once, the things that we did talk about and you're like, what do you guys say to each other when you know, you're alone or, or, or whatever? And the thing that I would say to Christy, and again, this is another example of maybe me being naive, maybe me being in denial. But I would say to her when things got really bad, I would say, um, I'm going to get better. I, I, and I may have just been trying to make her feel better. I may have just been trying to make her not feel so shitty about the situation, but I'd be like, I'm going to get better. Like, uh, don't worry. I'm going to get better. And at one point, there's a chapter called uh, my, my, my Greatest Regrets. I list my greatest regrets because at a certain point in my life, I'm taking inventory of, of my life and what I've done. And uh, my greatest regrets uh, includes my number two all-time greatest regret, which is um, pooping myself two times while on chemo and Christy, the saint that she is cleaned me up and took care of everything. And we're laughing about it and she's laughing and I'm very embarrassed because I'm a grown man, 30 years old and I've just soiled myself. For yeah, the but it's time. not like, it's not like <laughs> the second time in a month. <laughs> yes, I know. But under the circumstances, yes. under this, it's not like you, you know, we're just a, yeah, I was just a regular guy at right. my job and like, Whoops. Oh, look at that pants full of shit. Like it wasn't really. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I don't know if every chemo or every cancer patient is like this, but I, I had clung to a lot of, and it was, and it was an ever descending list. I, I had clung to a list of things like, this is getting bad, but at least I haven't blank. And one of the, the blanks was, pooped myself. Oh, no. <laughs> and I crossed that off the list. Oh, no. And so uh, as she's cleaning me up and throwing away a ruined pair of underwear and putting me in the shower and hosing me down, I looked at her and said as clearly as I could, I said, I'm going to get better. And it was so comical in that situation to be like, you can't get much worse. <laughs> like, <laughs> you better get better. Otherwise, this isn't, this isn't going in the right direction. But uh, I, uh, spoiler alert, uh, I did get back. <laughs> well, uh, spoiler, I haven't even... <laughs> oh, man, I, I didn't read the book yet. I know, I'm sorry to... You know, can we cut that out? Son of a... Yeah, don't... This is a, a serious spoiler alert. Yeah, so that was our little running, you know. Told, yeah, I'm going to get better. And uh, were there times where you thought, well, this is it, I'm dying, or like, I'm going to die, or like, or are you, you know... Did you did you ever feel like, oh, I see a light, or I I, I don't know, or or did the entire time did were you just like, nope, I'm gonna get better? I I never thought that the closest I ever came to the closest I ever came to that was it's the most probably dramatic part of the book is when I got the result from the MRI that told us basically whether the chemo and the radiation had worked. It was that first MRI after radiation that was like, okay, let's see if this whole thing worked, and if it hadn't worked. It was going to be a short time after that that, you know, it lights out. And if it had worked, then we're moving in the right direction and things are working and we can keep doing this. And I'm still so fucked up from radiation and chemo that I can't physically, I can't tell if I'm, you know, because a lot of times you can tell the doctors explain if anything happens with your tumor, 
you'll be the first to know because it's so small and it's such a tight area back there that if it grows or shrinks a tiny bit, you'll feel something different. And I wasn't feeling anything different at the time, so I was very, very nervous. It was the most nervous I'd ever been was going into that doctor's office that day and seeing the results of the MRI. Uh, And my wife was there and my mom was there. She flew down from Northern California and it was... It was as much a moment of truth as any of us will probably ever, you know, ever, ever feel. It was a crazy, crazy experience where I was like, this is, this is my, this is my past to live or my, uh, my death sentence in a way. It's crazy. It was a crazy dramatic moment. And then everything. No, no, I'm dead. Oh, what? (laughs) Spoiler alert. Guys, are we all just sitting in here? You see him too, right? Oh, (laughs) No, it was, uh, yeah, it ended up good. The tumor at the time shrunk by about half, which was huge. They were very, very, very pleased with that. So when did you start, at what point in this, all of this did you go, okay, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to start living you know, normally again. I can start living normally again. I mean, what, what, what were some of the things that you started doing yeah. right away. Right away. Well, Adam, I don't know if you remember this, but Corolla spearheaded a huge fundraiser for me. Yeah, I remember. It was awesome. It was, it was, it was incredibly flattering that people showed up both as the performers and the fans. And we raised a ton of money and keep in mind that I was in no shape to work at this point. And Christie's still my full time. Just cause we got the nice MRI doesn't mean that I was in the clear. Like I was still needing round the clock care for months after that. And so that money got us through the next year of our lives. It was basically, we lived off it. And, uh, the first thing we did with the money was we went to this very intense week long physical therapy down in San Diego, this world renowned physical therapist. And he, for a week, gave me full day PT sessions and basically got me back on my, no pun intended, got me back on my feet. Um, and I started walking again this time with the help, not of a walker, but with a brace. And I just got back to the business of living a day-to-day life. And then things started to get a little better. My speech started to get a little clearer. And right around this time, this is when Corolla started to go from the, remember he was doing sort of a one-on-one podcast out of his basement or whatever. Yeah, out of the garage. Yeah, out of his garage. He invited Teresa Strasser back and he invited me back. He's like, I want to put this show back together. I want to make it more of a show. And I was just starting to recover to the point where I could drive again and I could uh, talk semi-coherently. And I was like, this is, this is, perfect timing for a reason you know i'm i'm uh, meant to be hitting this point in my recovery as as uh, as i'm doing it so that was that was the big milestone for me was because my speech was so fucked up at one point that i was like oh well my career in broadcasting is over and and, uh obviously it uh it got back so i'm I'm thrilled about that so in terms of the um did you ever consider you know sometimes you hear stories like oh you know this person went down to Mexico or, you know, got all this treatment that's not right, allowed here right. because of the FDA. And, you know, like, I guess, you know, Western medicine versus alternative medicine. Right. Or did you, did you explore anything along those lines? Not, I did, I did the, uh, I did the guided meditation. I did some uh, hypnotherapy and all the, all the sort of uh, transcendental stuff because just as I think you do have to have at least a good attitude to put yourself in the right frame of mind. You also have to spiritually put yourself in the right frame of mind. I mean, you have to be firing on all cylinders is kind of what I'm trying to say. And for me, I needed to be firing on that sort of spiritual, emotional cylinder. So I I did that. But in terms of actual medicine, no, I really had a lot of faith in our doctors. uh, And obviously it paid off. Um, 
But no, it, it never got to that point where I considered going overseas or whatever. Did, I'm sure not opposed to it. I just never, never thought of it. Did you have insurance to cover this at the time? So I was, I, I don't even know why I did it, but I signed up for Cobra when the radio show ended in February. And so this is April. So I'm, I'm on Cobra, the continuing healthcare coverage. And this is in 2009. So remember how bad the economy was. Obama was signing in a bunch of extensions into the law for Cobra, whereas previously it was like six months. It ended up being like 18 months. So it was a real, real godsend for me that I could keep my insurance. Oh, my God. And granted, it cost $1,300 or $1,800 a month, but I'm getting $50,000 radiation sessions every day. So, right. I mean, do, you know, that would have bankrupted me in less than a week. Well, sure. I mean, you, you know, you, if, you go, if you go on Reddit and you see people with no insurance, they're like, oh, I had to go into the emergency room because I broke my toe and then I was $25,000. Like, just yeah. these crazy, crazy, crazy numbers. Oh, insane. Just absurd, made up, you know, Bugs Bunny numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that, that's my, my go-to for things that don't make sense. But, yeah. So uh, when, at what point did you feel like you were ready to start? Were, were you, when you were going through this, were you like, I should keep a, a diary of this or I should write a book or I should do this. At what point did you think I need to, I need to get this story out? I had, Oh, when uh, when an agent tracked me down and said you should write a book, that's really when I started thinking <laughs> this would make it, this would make a great book. <laughs> now, Christy, my wife, kept a great blog at the time. The whole idea behind the blog was to keep our family members like out of the area in the loop. You know, people, our friends and family up north in Northern California, and just people who wanted to follow our story, but we couldn't call everyone every day and say, "Here's what we did today." And so she started this blog to keep everyone updated, and it took on a life of its own because I started promoting on the podcast because I went on and announced my my brain tumor a few maybe a week after it happened after after I was diagnosed and people from all around the world started following this blog because they're fans of the show or they're fans of uh, Adam or me or or whatever and they wanted to know what was going on and so that ended up being a really invaluable resource because as I'm going back and writing this book I'm researching dates and how did it, what what order did this, these two things happen in and blah, blah, blah. And, and Christie's daily blog ended up being the, the, the roadmap for, for the book. So when you look back at that time in your life, how do you categorize it in your brain? Do you flat out think, oh, that's the darkest period of anything? Or do you see, how, how do you envision it when you're... Tons of fun. <laughs> yeah, when I was doing guided, so have you ever done guided meditation? Do you know what that is? I've yes, but I've never done it. I'm bad at shutting my brain off for more than you know. Like I'm bad at shutting the the thoughts off yeah. for more because then you start getting into the. Oh wait, I'm thinking right now. Yeah, don't like, think. Stop yeah, thinking. Uh, stop, stop no, thinking oh, this thinking. is thinking. I'm talking to myself, so that means I'm thinking. <laughs> yes, I uh, a friend of mine gave me a guided meditation CD, which uh, there's a woman on there who guides you through some thoughts and some deep thoughts of meditation. At one point, it's for it's for people who have cancer, ironic, ironically enough. And at one point, she says, "I want you to." She's like, "You know, think about this. Think about your family. Think about your whatever." She goes, "Think about your cancer and thank your tumor." And I was like, "Thank my tumor." And she's like. Thank it for giving you a new perspective on life and for making you value what's really important and for prioritizing. And I was like, I never thought about it that way. This whole time I've been pretty pissed at my tumor, but I guess in a way I appreciate the fact that now I'm really aware of what's really important, you know, my, my family and my fiance and my friends and everything starts with an F basically. And, and so I thought about that and it blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow, I'm 
thanking my tumor in a way. And, and afterwards, afterwards being when I started to recover, it was so nice to be able to worry about the little things again. It was after six months or a year of worrying about, am I going to live or is my fiance going to be a widow at a young age? It was nice to worry about the mailman didn't take the letter out of our mailbox or, you know, like, you know, stupid, you know, uh, direct TV is down again. Or it's nice to worry about the little things. That is pretty frustrating though. That's, I mean, oh, direct TV. Yeah, it was an example. Of yeah, that. no, because it's very hard. It's like, oh, then you got to get them on the phone, yes. and sometimes good luck. Yeah, I mean, they have to escalate to a supervisor, yeah. and it's like, get it. I mean, it's pretty close to tumor. Yeah. Next yeah. thing you know, you got an automated line. You're just yelling operator, and hopefully, yeah, operator. That's right. I'm Customer sorry, service. I didn't get that. Yeah, oh, it's the <laughs> zero 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 zero. <laughs> and so it's nice to worry about the little things. Like you, people are like, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's like, no, sweating the small stuff is pretty fucking great when you're not having to worry about it if you're to live to see your next birthday that's an excellent point sweating the small stuff can be great it, it's uh, sweating the small stuff is a gift my it dad is. always my dad used to say that all the time don't sweat the, he's my dad would say don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff but but i but that but, but that point of view of uh yeah it's you know to oh this water is room temperature great yeah How that means you don't have any you? real problems yeah i mean i i always get excited when i go to when I, my my home page is the is the google news page basically and you know if if i see a bunch of bullshit stories about like oh they were trying to make up something that sounded dramatic i kind of go ah good like slow news days are good are good are good days i remember the um i think when the onion came back after 9-11 it was like what's the onion gonna do after 9-11 can there be an onion after something you know and their uh you know their couple of stories were like terrorists surprised to find themselves in hell was Mm -hmm. one of them but another one i think was something along the lines of you know america longs to give a shit about america longs to um I don't know, uh, only care about stupid shit again right, yeah, yeah. Or, or something along, you know, where you sort of realize. They put it in perspective. As only the onion can. As on, yeah, as only the onion can. But, but also, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely someone who, who gets worked up about dumb, stupid things. And, I, and I'm, I'm aware that it's like, oh, the oh, 4G reception sucks here. Blah, 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 you know, yeah. that uh, I, I know that they're, is I'm not dumb. I know that there could be a time where I wish that that's all I had to. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if that was the only thing that was wrong in your day? And when and so I think it's important for people when you find yourself getting mad at reception or traffic or whatever that you can stop for a minute and go, "I'm so fucking lucky, right? I'm so lucky that this is the worst part of my day. That this is you know even work stuff. I mean, like work stuff." Seems really important because you're at work and it's right. like, oh, we have to make this all. But you have a be. job that you get paid to show up at. It's. I think it's. I think it's sort of taking that rock of negativity and flipping it over and seeing what's on the other side. Yes, I have a job. Yes, I have a car. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm. I'm in traffic because I'm on my way somewhere. Yes, yeah. I can communicate. Yes, I can even have the presence of mind to be upset yeah. about this fucking asshole in front of me <laughs> who is texting and not driving. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we, we don't realize it, but our brains sort of work in a big to small kind of way when it comes to problems and the fact that we end up at traffic or 4G or whatever it is. It's kind of nice that that's where it ends up. Did you gain any problem-solving techniques? In other words... The experience that you had, are you able to apply some of the basic principles to anything else in your life? Interesting. What, I hadn't thought about that. What do you like? What do you? Can you give me an example of what I would have felt? <laughs> I don't know. I just mean you went through something awful, obviously, mm-hmm. and you 
just through your own psychological makeup, right, evolved a series of problem solving techniques or ways to deal with with that, which then afterwards, I mean, it obviously changed you, you know, right. it obviously changed you in probably a lot of ways that were strengthening because you made it through. Yeah. So what were some of those techniques? Do you find yourself applying those to non life threatening situations? Well, I've never taken chemo in front of a stripper again. If that's where, <laughs> if that's where, if that's where you're going here's with the, this. Here's, here's the, here's the best way that I can, here's the best way that I can make an analogy. And it's not, mine is not a life or death situation. Okay. So it's not a great example. Okay. But I found that, um, through consistent exercise, mm-hmm. I learned techniques through physical health and, att- and, and well-being that I could then, you know, like, oh, you know, like, if I'm, if I'm doing pull-ups, then I can probably do two or three more than I thought I could. I wouldn't have known that previously. It was just a, some sort of a weird thing that I learned by going through this very physical process right. to apply to my mental world and the rest of my life. It's a bad example because it's not like a life or death health thing, but there must have been things that you went through. And if you really thought about it, I bet you'd go, oh, yeah, I guess. Sure. On, that- a larger, on a larger scale, I can't think of a specific example, but I will say that if you had presented to me at the beginning, like, this is what you'll be going through, and you laid out all of the everything of it from the pooping of the self to the everything, I'd be like, I can't, I can't, I couldn't do that. I, I can't, there's no way I could get through all that. That's insane. But I guess people are capable than more capable of more than they think. I guess that's what I sort of took away from it. It sounds like you. It sounds like, and maybe you were like this before, but it sounds like you really sort of learned the just get through whatever you can get through in a day. Yeah, and then start over tomorrow. And yeah, because today is tomorrow's the the reset button, or at least you know the go back to square one button, and you can uh, hopefully get it get it right. You know, today's a shitty day. Maybe tomorrow won't be. Because the recovery was so incremental, was was there ever a morning that you did wake up and go? Was there one clarity moment where you woke up and went, "Oh my god, I think I'm, I think I'm better. I think no, I think it's working." No, no, and that was frustrating. And I really want. I I'm a fan of the movie Vanilla Sky. I really like that movie. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, but a long time ago. Okay, I, people, most people don't like it as much as I do. But there's a point in which, in the right in the middle of the movie, Tom Cruise has suffered a car accident. He's semi disfigured. The girl he likes doesn't like him. She may be hooking up with his best friend. He's having a horrible night in the bar, and he's drunk and staggering home, and he falls into like a puddle in the middle of the street. The next morning, he wakes up, and everything is all of a sudden better. Penelope Cruz is there, and she helps him out of the puddle, and the sun is shining. It's just beautiful. And it's, it's, it's that vanilla sky moment that I wanted. I wanted to fall into the puddle one night and the next morning wake up and if not Penelope Cruz, then my wife, I guess. <laughs> Someone to be there, right? Maybe Tom Cruise. Someone to be there and be, and be like, hey, sleepy, you're, you know, you're looking worse for the wear and help me up and make breakfast. And it's like, I feel a lot better. Never happened. And it's a fantasy that sounded fantastic and I would love for it to happen, but I hope that people realize that even though it doesn't happen, all is not lost. You know, there's still hope. And do you still feel, what do you feel like now when you wake up in the morning? Now that you're, you know, five years past it. Super shitty. (laughs) Um, geez, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I feel I'm, I have to remind myself not all that often because I'm aware of it. I'm very cognizant of how lucky I am. I'm very cognizant of how lucky I am that I 
survived what I did and then I'm still here. I understand that that 13% of people who were diagnosed with what I was diagnosed with live to three years. Jesus I, Christ. I understand that I'm, I, I, I'm constantly aware of how lucky I am that Christy's in my life, let alone as my wife, but just in my part of my life and, and that I have the friends and the family that I do and that I have the job that I do. I am extremely lucky to be working on such a great podcast and, and, and to have the access to do cool things like this, to talk to you. And, uh, so I'm constantly aware of it. And if I ever have to remind myself, I do, but, uh, that just being aware of how lucky I am is uh, sort of my answer to that question. Not, not, not that I would ever suggest that what you went through was good. But this book that you wrote, yeah, and all of the, and you know, and hopefully you'll. Are you doing a speaking tour at all? I am going to be doing uh, some. So you wrote a book. Did you do book signings and all? I did. How does that go? Because I'm very nervous about it. I'm doing. I'm doing a few of them. I'm doing a few of them the next. Uh, it's great. The book signings are great. I mean, because people, if someone's going to a, if someone's going to buy your book, it requires effort on their part. Mm. It's amazing to me that anyone never buys anything. Yeah. So to 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 be motivated to buy something with ideas that you put into a thing, right? But then to show up on top of that, you're you're going to absolutely love it, and 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 That's you awesome. should you should be prepared. For it to be, I mean, my book wasn't. My book was just about um, life recovery from a sobriety standpoint. And bullshit. Here, here's, <laughs> but yours is actually like a real, you know, mm. not that. I mean, look, obviously, alcoholism can kill people, but you know, it. I I think between the two, uh, brain tumor is pretty fucking bad. If you were given the choice, yeah, exactly. So. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's not really fair for me to say one's worse than the other, but it feels like brain tumors probably a little because brain tumor. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Again, given the choice, given the choice, one's certainly more fun. But what I will say, what I will say is that uh, it's up by the brain tumor now. What, right, of course. But what I will say is that um, you should prepare yourself emotionally, okay? Because I think I think it's going to be emotional. I mean, it's going to be emotional for people showing up. I mean, I, I think you have to understand how important this is. This is really important. Oh, thanks. Man. That you do this because, again, you know, other people are out there. I mean, the fact that, you know, if this book just touched, you know, one person's life, it made the quality of one person's life better, you know, it's going to be more than that. It'd be because- a huge waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that one fucking book for one person. <laughs> Fuck you. It's like you're shouting at the one guy who showed up when you're oh, reading you're the passage. Oh, you're the guy. F you. <laughs> Cancer opened my eyes. Um, but I think, you know, people are out there who need something to connect with or someone to look up to or something that they can, you know, I mean, we're basically just the... We're just a, a collective consciousness of experiences that have happened up till now, and mm. we need to access those to know how to proceed a lot of the times. And yeah. so maybe, you know, people who find this book, it speaks in exactly the right way that they didn't have before, that they didn't have hope, or they didn't know what to expect, or they didn't have this this side of it. So it's really, really like you're essentially a living 
um, you're a living trophy of hope for people. Wow. And also what to... Get that blurb. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get a big head about it, no pun intended. Sorry. But but this book is really... It's important. It's important that you go around and talk to people, and it's important that you, you know, um, share your experiences. Because even if you do nothing more than share your experiences, Mm. that's... That that's helpful to yeah. people. That's incredibly helpful to people. So I think your book signings will, you know, they can run the gamut of I'm oh I'm a big fan of the podcast. Oh sorry bro, sorry yeah. you know to, you know people probably not really being able to keep it together because it's a very emotional experience for them. And so it might, it could bring up emotional stuff yeah. for you. So just I you know I I don't know how emotional of a person you are, but I would just sort of be I would be prepared that, you know it it could. You might relive some of it in, okay. the, in the process. You're literally you're the second person to bring that up, and the second person, ironically, in 24 hours, Corolla. I asked him about this same question last night. I was like, "Hey, you've done book signings before. What's it like?" He's like, "Oh, you're gonna do fine." Blah, blah, blah. And he specifically mentioned the. Uh, it's like it's gonna be emotional. Like people are gonna want to talk to you about their situation or their whatever. It's gonna surprise you. I think it's gonna surprise you how much it will affect people particularly a book like this yeah and i didn't think about i honestly didn't think about it maybe i was too into it when i was writing i think you're too into it you're very close to it because essentially when you're writing a book of this nature you know when it's like well these are things that happened to me you're just you're sort of just dictating a lot of stuff that your brain is spitting yeah. out oh yeah this happened and then this and then i gotta put this here and then this is the right chapter for this and this oh i gotta edit this down yeah. oh there it is but when you see it reflected back at you from other people, it, it's essentially a mirror. And you, you will – it kind of forces you to, to go down those emotional pathways again. I mean, I think sometimes when people write a book like this, that, that is kind of an emotional journey for them. But a lot of times, I think it's seeing the effect it has on other people and being reminded, oh, this – you know, you might feel – it might bring up stuff for you, you know, again. Well, I'm, I mean – I'm not, I'm not, uh, I cry like a bitch, so I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. I, I'm, it's nothing new to me. <laughs> I'm not too worried about that. No, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, man. I, I'm very much, I hope it touches people. I hope, I hope it makes people laugh and cry, you know, the old uh, cliche, but I hope it, uh, hope it inspires people and sort of makes them laugh. Well, it is. It should because, you know, I'm sure there are a million books they can read about that are either, you know, super new agey or too yeah. like, you know, very serious and clinical, right. and this is neither. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 the, but the humor aspect is really important because it 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 does give people hope and it makes people feel like you know one of the one of the reasons why humor is so powerful over the worst things that we can think of is because it gives us it feels like it gives us a sense of control over them and so yeah. when people can laugh at something or they can that's why I was asking did you find anything funny about it because it's a very empowering experience it's not to belittle the experience or no, it's not right. to diminish or be derisive about it but to show like hey fuck you i have power over this yeah. thing and other people can have power over it you know in the face of the the worst things imaginable yeah if you make a joke about anything like a joke like a like a set up a punchline joke you've thought about that thing you've processed that thing and you've filtered out the funny out of that thing you've distilled you know the, the essence of what makes it funny and that's what's humanizing that's part of the shared you know human experience that we that we have so when does your book tour start? I'm doing, uh, let's see, there is a, uh, by the time this comes out, I will have a signing, oh, very close to uh, 
to very close to uh, Meltdown. It's on uh, Book Soup. On, oh, yeah, Book on Soup on Sunset. Sunset. Yeah. yeah, so I'm doing that one, in one of the last bookstores. Yeah. There's a couple. There's uh, the books, Book Soup. There's Skylight Books in Silver Lake. Uh, yeah. The last bookstore downtown. Is it called The Last Bookstore? The last bookstore. Oh, <laughs> self-press, self-prophecy. Uh, <laughs> We're going to be it. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm doing uh, Book Soup, May 31st. I believe it's 7 p.m. Seven, five or seven. It's on their website. It's on my website. It'll it'll be on every website in the world. When you were going through the uh, when you were going through the chemo, when you were in the hospital, and you were obviously you're seeing other people there. Yeah. Are you Ugh. are you embracing that experience, or are you trying to put on blinders and go? I don't want to. I can't focus on any of that. Uh, I, I, the reason I said oh sorry the reason I had the reaction I remember I was at the hospital once and I saw a little girl you can always see you can always tell who's the patient because they have the wristband sure, sure, you know, with sure. the date and the name the uh, date of birth and their name and everything there's a little girl there dressed all in pink head to toe with a little pink cap on because she'd lost her hair she's like five years old she's just the fucking worst thing ever but th- that's you. No, I didn't have blinders on. I was actually very aware. I was trying to be very aware of who else was there and everyone else. And you really get an idea, especially in the radiation center, because I was going every day for six weeks. You get an idea of who's there and who the regulars are and what people are up to. And you see people come, you see people go, you see people who are, seem to be doing well, some people who are doing pretty fucking badly. And I, I, I mean, everyone from old old couples to young couples and people who are obviously not even married, just, you know, friends or boyfriends and girlfriends. And there was a couple who would travel from Jamaica because the place I was going, Cedar sinai is the best, is one of the best in the world for, yeah. for treating cancer. So they had traveled from outside the area. I just was aware of people's body language and, and their, not body language, but just their vibe. You know what I mean? Some people were, ex- I was excited to be there in the sense that it felt like we were doing something. Like I'm getting treated. They're actually treating my cancer. And some people, I know it's weird, right? But some people, obviously, I remember one lady was really put out to be there. She was like a 40 year ish year old soccer mom type, and she was like yelling at the people, like, "I have to pick my kid up from blah blah blah, and I have to. I, I've never waited this long." And it's like, she wasn't being a bitch. She was just that's how her body and her mind was reacting to the environment. She didn't want to be there. She wanted to be on with her life. Being there to her was being sick. And she wanted to be out in the world getting her kid or doing whatever, having... So she was mad at the... She was mad at the cancer. She was... Yeah, I'm sure she was. But it was manifesting itself as being mad at everyone else. Yeah, because you can't... It's not... You can't, you can't yell at yell your, your cancer. Yeah. yeah, you can't yell at the You'd tumor. You'd like to, but you, you, you can't. And uh, people, people's... people's attitudes people's vibes manifested themselves in very different ways so what did you ultimately what what did you learn about did you learn anything about humanity was there any great revelation at the end of it or is it not that is it not that romantic of like oh and then in the end i realized (laughs) i mean now the the small thing i took away from all that was everyone has their own their own speed and their own pace and their own you can't, no one deals with cancer the right way. No one deals with cancer the wrong way. Everyone deals with cancer in their own way. And who's to say that I did it right? Who's to say that I did it wrong? Who's to say that anyone, you know, is just how... As I said to Christy when initially we started to tell our friends and our family, some people, some people backed away. Some people sort of fell away from our lives a little bit. Maybe because they were freaked out. Maybe because they were scared. Maybe because... It reminded them of their own mortality. Maybe they had a family member who passed away from cancer. I don't know what it was, and Christy would get frustrated. And I would say, 
you can't fault anyone for their natural reaction. If someone's choice is to be a dick and and leave, you know, exit our lives and and whatever, that's one thing. But if someone's natural reaction is to be freaked out and not know what to do and not know how to act around us, how can you fault someone for that? That's just how they react. You can't control what happens to you. You can only control how you react to it. Did those people come back around later? <laughs> You're like, to an extent. And too it was, late. Yeah. To an extent. No, I, 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 would, I would never be the kind of person who said it too late because I understand that cancer is a fucking freaky thing. And when it happens to a 30-year-old friend of yours, it's pretty – that's a mirror, you know, holding up at your own mortality right in front of you. Yeah, because you don't really start – well, I shouldn't say you. I, I, I One doesn't really <laughs> – You don't really care. I, I, I don't uh, – I, I didn't really start thinking about life and death stuff until I – hit like late thirties before I started to go like, Oh yeah, this doesn't go on forever. You know, when sure. you're, when you're in your twenties, it's like, Hey, oh, fuck all the time in yeah. the world. Yeah. 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 Keep on a strip club. Woo. You know? Yeah. But then, um, but then starting to realize like, Oh yeah, no, this all at some point, this just wraps up. It's all very temporary. I don't really know how that's going to go. Yeah. So, you know, what, what is the, uh, what, what's important for you to, you know, did you sort of think about like, Ah, I have to leave my mark, or ah, it doesn't really matter. Well, in as much as you know, my legacy c- counts. I think this book, as I was writing it, I was very aware of that. I was like, "This is the record of not only what happened to me, but it's a record of my life up to this point, for all intents and purposes." And it's most of the stories that I deem important to tell about my life and what I've learned, both through my sickness and otherwise. And so, in as much as I don't make films and write tons of books and do all that stuff. This is my legacy. This will be around for people to read hopefully forever and until it goes out of print and they decide not to print the second version. Uh, so that, that was my, that was, I was aware of that as I was writing it. Excellent. And then, um, can you explain how you put the bone in boner? <laughs> I can show you what, but we'd have to turn the mics off. <laughs> Why? And turn the it's cameras It's an audio on. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> get your phone, Kyle. Katie, get over here. <laughs> you know Katie Levine. That is the second podcast that I have threatened to do something horrible sexually to Katie. <laughs> <laughs> what what was the first one? It wasn't me. It may have been me. Me and Anderson, my ho- my co-host on the Film Vault, at one point threatened, offered to show Katie what it meant to be airtight. <laughs> but only because she asked. Only It wasn't out of the blue. You it wasn't just, out of the blue. You know, Brian... You somehow skillfully have managed. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, Brian, you've skillfully managed to take an hour where not one person could not be on your side. Yes. And you've just completely flipped like an Othello board. (laughs) You flipped the values all completely against you. That's the dichotomy in me, brother. (laughs) Oh, this poor. Wait, what? (laughs) What did he just say? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, uh, I'm glad you're here to make uh, horrible jokes. Uh, no one's happier than me. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's really good to see you. And you honestly, if, if you hadn't written a book and you hadn't told me that you, that you had a brain tumor and, and that you lost the use of a lot of your body, and you, I never would have known. You look, you look just fine. Thanks, you look man. absolutely fine. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. I appreciate that a lot. Well, um, you know, looks about yourself. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I just got that. mad at traffic today. So oh, good. I'm, That's I'm a really good day. To, I know. I know. 
gotta I gotta remember I gotta I do I do have to remember but I do like the idea of like if you can sweat the small stuff it's a good day yeah it's a nice thing when you can worry about the little things yeah so remember that when you tell me that this room's too echoey that we're recording <laughs> in or fuck you <laughs> no 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 <laughs> Chris Chris why'd you say that no I didn't say that you said that your voice is clearly and not why mine. would you offer to make Katie airtight I did not do that Brian that was you you have to forgive him. You don't have to forgive him. Was there anything that you did where, where you were like, oh, I get a free pass because, uh, you know, tumor? Oh, wow. Um, I got out of jury duty for the rest of my life. Did you really? Yeah. My doctor wrote me a note when I was at the worst. I got a jury summons when I was at the worst, my lowest point. I, they're very difficult. I'm surprised they even took that as I an excuse. I was legitimately fucked up, and so I applied for a doctor's thing, and they're like, oh, you have to get this, 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 because they are pretty... You know, you have to get serious doctor's, like, notes. Like, not just a, hey, this guy's sick. You have to get, like, verification and stuff. And my doctor wrote the thing, the, the whole thing, and, like, well, this guy cannot do jury duty for the next 212 months. <laughs> He's like, I made you sound pretty bad. I was like, I am pretty bad. Oh, my so, God. The good news is I got out of jury duty. <laughs> that actually is pretty good news because it's very hard to get out of jury duty. They don't give a fuck, man. You were there. No, it was uh, bad times. No matter what. Yeah. Um... I have to sneeze. Hang on. Excuse me. Uh-oh. Better get, that, check, that, better get that checked out. Is, well, what the fuck? <laughs> better get your scan. You don't... Don't fucking... De- Listen, I'm, I'm a borderline... Not so borderline hypochondriac. Okay. What do you have today? I don't know what I have today. Maybe at home or later when I go home, I'll be like, do I have a brain tumor? Okay. Like my girlfriend would be able to tell me that. Do you ever get headaches? No, not really. No. Oh. been funny if you said yes. Damn it. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, I, I, I just, uh, my brain always goes to the, to the worst place. But it's, I am scared, but also it's, I feel like it's important for me to get the details of this kind of thing and talk mm-hmm. to, and talk to you because, you know, I know I'm prone to being like, oh my God, what, what if I, what if I, what if I, but I feel like it's important to face that stuff and it's important to, you know, it's important to not run from that shit. Because if yeah. it's going to happen, I can't. There's nothing you do about it. I can't stop it. It's all, it's all in your reaction. It's not in what happens to you. So you do think something horrible is wrong with me? That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. Is that what this has been about? We talked about this before, right? Oh, shit. Yeah, it's bad news. <sighs> anyway, tune in next week for Nerdist, hosted by Brian Bishop. <laughs> Kyle will be like, oh, I wanted to get promoted. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Kyle. i got to bring in an outside guy. He's got more experience. Yeah. You can be head note taker. <laughs> <laughs> right, right now he's the only note taker, but he's still not the head note taker. Right. Yeah, no, right. you're still not the lead guy, Kyle. Um, he, repo- he reports to TBA. <laughs> <laughs> so, where can people find you on the internet? BrianBishop.com, or uh, I'm a very active tweeter. So uh, at bald Brian, Brian with a Y. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. and bald Brian being the name that Corolla. Has bestowed upon me. For years and years That's and right. years and years. Uh, good to see you, man. Good to see I you. I mean, like, genuinely good to oh, see thanks. you. Oh, thanks. Like, in a real sense. Good man, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, big fan of At Midnight, by oh, the way. Oh, thank you very Love much. show. Seen it once. Once? Half a show. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's a great show. <laughs> but good luck with the... You know, I think, I think you're starting a new journey... Thanks, man. With this book that, um, you know, will surprise you, but, in, but it'll, the net result will all be really, really positive. I'm really excited about it, so thanks for saying that. Of course. I hope your next book is just about boners. <laughs> It'll still be shrinkage. <laughs> nice! Points! 
And now I can say after a podcast like this that it is very important, guys, to enjoy your burrito. Do you want to tell people to enjoy their burrito? Because you... Can I say enjoy my burrito? Sure. No, just enjoy, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Yeah, coming from Brian. Yeah, for God's just, sake. It has, enjoy it your has burrito. a lot of weight. All right. Goodbye. And hi, Katie's dog. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. Or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.